welcome to the fourth episode of Governing the Heartland. We are so excited to have this you episode explores Kansas City's park system, features its leader, Parks and Recreation Director Terry Reinhardt, and one of its most creative caretakers, Brian McCarr. Our favorite line from this episode is probably the episode title, Parks are for the People. On that note, our first guest is Terry Reinhardt, Kansas City's Parks and Recreation Director. She's been in this service for over 36 years and has so much to share that she pretty much, pretty much gives right over her introduction into what is so important about her work and the work in the community. So go ahead and listen in. At every level, um, there's an impact on the community, mm-hmm. whether you're mowing grass or planning something or building something. Um and I think uh, it's just infectious once you start doing it. And really, you know, it takes one kid smiling on a ball field because the ground, you know, like the ground was smooth. The ball came perfect. He gets the out. <laughs> and that's, you know, I mean, it's a very, very rewarding career. Um, and uh, so, yeah, as far as director goes, um, we have an amazing team in Kansas City. Um, most of it we've put together um over the last couple of years and uh, that um um that has you know like that made it a lot easier to retire like i mm-hmm. yeah, i have always felt like the most important thing was to get the next level ready so mm-hmm. well that's a beautiful sentiment i've, I've seen that be important in, in business um and can you just remind me so parks and rec director that's an appointed position correct it is. It is. It's the um, myself and the police chief are the only two that are not um, hired by the city manager. Um, I'm hired by the park board, which uh, that's by per charter. The charter gives them the authority to do that. So hire and fire the director. And then um, the director, you know, has, hires the rest of the staff. And then the police chief, of course, is in the same situation. So. Okay. Good to know. See, what I love about this podcast is that, you know, you, you learn so many things. I had an interview with someone that explained to me the structure of um, like the city council in uh, St. Louis County. And I was, you know, someone that's interested in local politics from the area. And I still was like, oh my gosh, I learned new things every day, you know? Um, Well, I did, you know, to kind of switch gears um, as you, you know, 40 years experience, you know, is there kind of like an, issue you see that's like pressing to our parks um yeah i i i hesitate to say <clears throat> excuse me i'm really sorry um i hesitate to say the issue um but i will say uh um maybe a shift in direction and this is something that has been very important to us over the last few years um <clears throat> though the system was originally designed you know in the late 1800s the, I didn't the, know that the core of the system. So this is our 129th year as a department. Huh. Um, so you can imagine when things were designed in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was not much sensitivity to uh, equity, mm-hmm. and um, and the system kind of followed some of the trends of the developers at the time, and and. Um, you know, Benton Boulevard is an original. It's on the east side of town, but there were there was kind of this uh, natural segregation um, with the park system. So that's kind of the 
the not so beautiful part of uh, the City Beautiful movement. Now, I will say they were also very foresightful in green space in every neighborhood. <clears throat> so even some of our older lower income areas um, still have an adequate amount of green space. Then probably <clears throat> in the mid 1900s, there started to be a, a difference in how we taxed for uh, park maintenance and it was a property tax. So the West Park District got property taxes from the properties on the west side of town, East Park, same way. Well, the properties on the west part of town were much higher asset value. And so there was a lot more money. Um, so not intentionally, but very unintentionally, those West Parks just continued to get more and more and more support. So it was kind of a, um, you know, it's a nicer part of town, bigger homes, more money. Mm -hmm. And, and so, oh, I would say seven years ago, we started saying, you know, we're going to have to adjust our mission and, and, and really address this. And so now we no longer have East Park, West Park tax. Now we just have a park sales tax. Okay. And, um, and so we said, how do we build an equity model? And we've been working on that for really hard for three or four years. And this week, actually, we just got recognized for a few things. One is all American cities. And um, in that proposal, one of the three things that we used um, as our application was our QLID, which is a new park district we've created with, we call it the quality of life investment district. So it's the six zip codes with the lowest life expectancy. And those are exactly where you would think they are, kind of running along the east side of Troost and um, doing kind of a hyper focus on maintenance, planning, capital improvements on those 38 parks that are in that area. So that was one of our um, pieces on the application. And then the Trust for Public Land does a park score every year. And we've usually been between 30 and 35 ranked of all the cities that that do it and this year we jumped all the way up to 20 so we went from 32 to 20 and that was a change in their methodology so it used to just be if there was a 10 minute walk within a park <clears throat> that was a you know you got a very high score and then they they weigh in amenities and acres and cost per citizen and all that but one of the things um they added this year was the quality of the experience and um, how close are those acres to diverse populations and in this whole kind of national move toward equity? So um, that was a huge jump for us. And then um, just yesterday, the <clears throat> Urban Land Institute put out a report on how parks are doing equity. And we were one of the five cities listed as an example of, of doing that. So, you know, um, it's a, you know, everyone uses the phrase and, and it's been part of our mission statement since 2015, but really the last few years we have tried to make that the thing. So interesting to hear about like how parks really do like truly improve communities that like, it's one of those things that like, you don't 
necessarily think about how much having a park and like a, a space um, for people to gather makes communities safer, healthier, and like happier. And it's so interesting to hear, you know, because I feel like a lot of times the first people think of is, oh, we need to like throw money this way. We need to throw money that way. And then there's these ways to like build projects that will, you know, make systematic change, not just short-term change, but like a park in your community is like this idea of a systematic change that it can really change a community over years and years and years. So I love talking to, to people about stuff like that. Yeah. The other piece that's kind of out there, you know, we have the new, um, the 15th Emma homies foundation gave us a million dollars for a new playground and we put it at Martin Luther King square park. And then of course we just renamed, uh, the compilation of the three roadway roads, it used to be Volker, Swope Parkway, Blue Parkway, all one street. And then we renamed that um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. And that runs along the park. And then the next piece of that, and, and, and it kind of begins to address the issue with uh, Brush Creek, um, is there will be a um, kind of a, we're calling it a cultural corridor, but Basically, that that trail that runs along the creek, there will be some minor adjustments to that. There are some areas that are just covered in mud every single time it rains. So there's some a little bit of change there. And then there will be kind of these kiosks down through that that will explain different moments in time in Kansas City where uh, civil rights, different civil rights leaders from local so you'll basically be connecting uh, Dr. King Park all the way over to Freedom Fountain and the Bruce R. Watkins Cultural Heritage Center. So the idea is on pick a night, Tuesday nights at these little kiosk, maybe you'll have two or three artists down there doing spoken word and you can walk this walk, kind of have this cultural experience and, and activate that space more. Um, so, yeah. I, I, you know, and I love in that, in that description, even like the small attention to detail, you know, you're thinking about overall combining all of these different, you know, roads and, um, you know, building cultural, these cultural moments along the pathway, but still there's that. And we want to improve that every time it rains, it's too muddy, right. <laughs> you know, right. from the large picture to the small picture, you know, I think that's something that, um, you know, it's like you experience in the day to day as the in the individual, the muddy walkway, and right. then, you know, overall as a group, we experience, you know, the need for cultural significance in more parks along the roadway, you know, so I love hearing about that. Um, but is there anything that you really wish the public knew um, and, and that they don't see, you know, behind the closed doors of like departments like Parks and Rec kind of are like local community government as a whole? Um, maybe I would say our biggest challenge, and this has really been my biggest challenge, and of course the pandemic did not make this any easier, but is balancing tradition with progress and justice um, and finding that line, and it's not a clear line, it's not a solid line, it's not a straight line, um, but just trying to figure out how to balance tradition, because we have an awesome tradition in Parks and Rec, but we also know and recognize that we need to make progress. And then there's some justice issues, and, and we've tried to tackle those. Um, we haven't made friends on every front doing that. Um, 
So, you, you know, there's a lot of boldness that comes, comes with those decisions and, you know, very fortunate that our board has been supportive of those. So, yeah, I would say, you know, we're, it, it's not just a, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. It's, it really is a, a complex strategy on how to, how to balance that. I do just want to give some space here. Um, is there anything else that, you know, I didn't ask you about, you want to talk about, or you want to share, you know? No, um, I would say, you know, the, the parks belong to the people and, um, and, you know, we are getting um, a lot more people and a lot more community engagement, not just with programming and not just with planning of what a playground looks like, but really connecting to the park, those extra eyes and ears. We've got a great volunteer program called the ambassadors now, but um, if you have not done so, I would, I would highly encourage you to connect to your, you know, we think parks are the place that's going to bring people together and, and we're seeing a lot of that. So connect to your park, I would say. You know what? I, I honestly think that might be the name of the episode, Terry. Parks are for the people. That's yeah. brilliantly said. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll follow you. I, I love the <laughs> concept you're doing. Wow. I'm really glad you guys got to hear some from Terry. And I'm excited for you all to hear from our next citizen guest, Brian McCarr. These two have a lot to say, so we're just going to jump right into it. For Brian, he's tackling some of those equity issues that Terry kind of went into. He's heading up the Bush Creek Nights, which I'll let him tell you guys all about. I want to welcome you on. We're so happy to have you. You know, I've heard that you're, you know, an information technology leader, longtime resident of Kansas City, and I've heard about some of this organized action you've done to visit and support people living outside Kansas City, especially in those areas along Brush Creek. Um, I wonder if you could just start by telling our listeners a little bit about you and your work. Sure. So um, my name is Brian Makar. Um, I actually go by Brian T. Um, I like I, I basically am a cyclist and I enjoy riding my bike um, when I have my free time. And I have historically worked for some large companies, uh, a few Kansas City based companies and a few international companies. And I, on my bike rides, I basically stumbled across some of the people living under the bridges at Brush Creek. Um, in fact, uh, my first interaction was with a gentleman named Mo, who had dropped his cushion onto the trail that I was biking on along Brush Creek. And the wind, I guess, had actually taken it off. And after I got to talking to him, I came to realize, or, you know, I learned a little bit about Mo, and I offered him a granola bar because I had an extra one in my pocket. And that led to the formation of what we call the Knights of Brush Creek. And it's kind of a silly offshoot of the Knights of Columbus, which is part of my parish. Um, I am a Knights of Columbus uh, for St. Peter's at St. Peter's Parish in Kansas City. And I just basically went to my friends and said, I want to make breakfast on Sunday mornings and I deliver it on bikes to the people living on the trails. And so my friend Mike and I created the Knights of Brush Creek and um, went from there. And wow. uh, we call we call the people who live along the creek the first nights. Huh. Uh, Mike, my friend Mike, who helped me create it, 
uh, I call him the second night and I'm the third night. And, uh, it was interesting to hear you talk a little bit about Mo. Um, you know, as you're kind of visiting people down there, what situations and conditions are you, are you finding? You know, I, I know there's some developments and encampments, but you know, what kind of situations is most common for you to see down there? Um, you know, homelessness and the encampments, you know, what are the conditions like as someone that's seen it firsthand? You know, not of our listeners probably have. Yeah. So, um, I've seen people literally sleeping under a bridge on the rocks with a piece of cardboard. Um, I've, uh, I've come across people that, um, are sleeping under the bridges on the concrete trail and, uh, people sleeping over in the park by the plaza with the horse fountains. I can't even, I don't even know the JC Nichols fountain, I guess is what it's called, or maybe they've renamed it. Um, but, uh, sleeping along out there on the grassy area of that area. Um, and uh so these people have nothing um and they literally we we pull up on our bicycles we try not to startle them um we take our helmets off we walk up and we say good morning sir or ma'am would you would you care for a hot breakfast and a you know some water um and so five years ago, that was the that was the base level that we were providing. We've also had people donate um, gently used clothing and tents and sleeping bags. And I mean, it's just kind of grown from Mike and I to, you know, we have we we have a, a lot of people who just show up and they ride their bike or they help cook breakfast. So uh, the people that cook breakfast, I'm sorry to ramble on, but no, we call we we call the head cook Sir Cooks a lot. <laughs> we cook we cook the the helper or the cook the guy who helps the cook. We call that Sir Stirs a lot. Oh um, my gosh! <laughs> if you are the leader of the ride, you are called the captain or the grand knight. If you are a rider, you're just a knight. If you're a first time rider, we actually knight you when you come out and join us. So you become a knight, an official knight of Brush Creek. As someone that's really led this community effort, is is there, do you feel like the city and the county are like paying attention to this problem? Do you feel like they see it? You know, you know, do you feel like these local offices are, are seeing what's going on down there or doing anything to help? Oh yeah, they most definitely see it because if you look at the city action the My KCMO app that you can download and put on your phone. If you go and you open up a ticket on Kansas City Parks and Recreation, you will see there's an option there for homelessness. These people are literally homeless. They have nowhere else to go. They're not bothering anybody. You're, you are not alone in that. We, we've heard that from a lot of different people. Um, you know, as someone that has such like I don't want to use the word unique because I think of Kansas City residents as like really caring and kind people. But I do think in general, there is, you know, a view of like homelessness that some people see them as, you know, view people living outside as trespassers or people not occupying the space legally. You know, I heard you say, you know, they're not hurting 
you know, they're not in anyone's way or anything like that. Um, but, you know, how do you respond to that point of view? Has that ever gotten brought up to you by a resident? You know, like, oh, well, they're living outside. They're not occupying the space legally. You know, how have you responded to that if you've come across that? You know, at first, when I first started seeing the homeless, I was like, why don't they get a job? And then as I started visiting with them and talking to them, what I found was a lot of them do have problems. You know, some of them have drug problems. Some of them have problems just getting their their identity. You know, like they don't have a driver's license or they don't have their birth certificate or they got kicked out of their parents' house. There's I've I've come across young, young. I, I remember one of the young women I came across. She couldn't have been older than 19 years old who was out on the trail. And her parents had kicked her out and she was sleeping underneath a bridge mm. down there near the Kaufman Center. And, you know, she basically she appreciated the breakfast. And she's I, you know, I said, do you have access to shelter? And she's like, no, my parents kicked me out of the house. I said, have you considered the shelters that are available? She says they scare me because people are you know, there's there's they're so overcrowded. I do work with the V.A., there are at least three vets on Brush Creek today that I know personally who won't go into the VA for help because of certain requirements and other things. One of them has horrible PTSD. Mm. It took him six months to trust me enough to give him a water bottle. Wow. You know, you mentioned like not having a driver's license. Like there's just so many things I can't agree with you more that there's just so many little things that people don't think about that, you know, keep people from being able to get back up on their feet. It's just a matter of being friendly and acknowledging the existence of a homeless person. Hello, how are you doing? Maybe it's helping, you know, do some projects to help, you know, homeless services or vet services or something like that, where you're not necessarily doing anything. Um, and maybe it's offering your treasures, which could be, you know, I, I ride my bike around town and I always have granola bars in my pocket. And if I see somebody, I offer them a granola bar. Or I know, I've heard other people keep water in their car and they hand water to the people who are on the corners. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't cost that much. Those little things, I think, would help the community. Yeah, well, Brian, I, I really appreciate talking to you both as an individual and for the podcast because, you know... I, I can really respect how there's like a resiliency and, you know, keeping up and keeping going. You know, if there's anything else you want to add that you think would be good to be included in this, um, in the podcast. So I, I, I have to say that there are some community leaders that I have really seen some very positive things from. Mm. Um, one gentleman in particular that I really respect is Jason Kander. Um, I know that he, you know, has stepped away from politics for a while to take care of himself. Um, and I respect that immensely. Um, and uh, I know that he's doing work with the Veterans Association and the Tiny Homes Project to help vets. I know that he is also doing um, his he and his wife, Ravi, have started a new thing. So. I do think there are a lot of people that really do care about things in Kansas City. Brian, uh, thank you so much for coming on. And also, thank you for everything you're doing in the community. Um, I'm hoping that one day I'll be back in Kansas City and I can, I can you know, join a ride or help raise some, some supplies. Well, you're always welcome. Uh, the only thing I would say from a closeout standpoint is 
uh, get involved, help somebody else out, pay it forward. If you got, if you have a lot or a little, and you can help somebody out with literally just opening the door for them, do it. If you can help somebody load their groceries in their car, just do it. You're doing great uh, things. Thank you for everything you're doing in the community, really. All right, Grace. Have a great day. You. All Bye. right. Bye. I really hope you all enjoyed hearing two different perspectives from two very different people that both love and cherish Kansas City, her parks, and her people. Make sure to check out the Bush Creek Nights on Facebook. And as always, rate and subscribe this podcast wherever you're listening. Thanks so much and see you guys next time.